Well, it was back on May 7th on that Sunday that I first presented a message that I entitled, When You Cannot Forgive. And the interesting thing about that message is that a number of you were very much affected by it. You got word back to me that God spoke to your hearts. And I told you there was more to that message and there's still more than what I'm going to be able to share this morning with you as well. But it's one of the areas when I think about even the 4th of July and being uh, independent, one of the areas that we greatly need to have independence and experience it and liberty and freedom is in this issue of forgiveness. And it's way bigger than sometimes we want to acknowledge it is. And you'll see that as we go along, even this morning, I think, as well. How does one get victory? How is one able to completely forgive the person or the persons when you find yourself in a situation where somebody has deeply hurt you, wronged you, and by the way, is in no way repentant for what they have done? They sometimes, often, by the way, could care less. The fact that you got hurt in something they said or something they did to you or did not do. Well, my message was one that could not be left unfinished when it comes to this most important issue. We all, at one time or another, find ourselves enmeshed in. And we do. As we finish life, we'll find out probably more of these situations will come up. So this morning, I'm going to begin with bringing part two, when you cannot forgive And we won't be finished, as I said, with this most important subject, even with part two. So there's even still more to come, the Lord willing. We're going to begin this morning, though, with a quick review of what I shared with you back on May 7th, just so you can fill in. You will not see anything on the wall behind me here because we had a technical difficulty. And so that will not be coming. But you do have an outline you can use. I'd encourage you to use in your bulletin. First, we looked at last uh, May 7th, God's provision of two different kinds of forgiveness. And you have to be aware of that. There are two different kinds of forgiveness. You'll remember that we looked at that when we when we looked at what's called or known as the Lord's Prayer, uh, presented in Matthew 6, where Jesus taught his disciples to pray these words. He said, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Even in that portion of prayer, Jesus was showing us that the daily forgiveness for our sins, our debts, our trespasses, was as necessary as daily food is to us. But he went further and he spoke these words. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then... Your Father will not forgive your transgressions. What does that mean? What does that mean? When we examine that statement, we saw that there is judicial forgiveness. It's not the same, though, as parental or parental forgiveness. To be judicially forgiven by God is what those little children did during Bible school. They said, I'm a sinner. I want to be forgiven. I want to have eternal life. I want to go to heaven. And they asked Jesus in their heart. That's judicial forgiveness. That's a once for all thing. And then there's this parental that he's talking about here. And that's sometimes you have that. And other times you don't, depending on whether you're dealing with God with this issue of forgiving one another. We also saw three different degrees of forgiveness. And actually, there's four. Three different degrees of forgiveness, and I put them in your outline for you. There is detached forgiveness. We've all been there, by the way. Detached forgiveness. Detached forgiveness is where there is a reduction in my negative feelings toward my offender, 
but not reconciliation. No reconciliation, but there's, there's a reduction in my feelings toward that person. It's like taking a pot of hot boiling water and turning the temperature down to medium. The problem is it's still hot, just not as hot. And so you still haven't turned the dial to off. So it's still there hot. Secondly, there's limited forgiveness. Limited forgiveness is where there's a reduction in negative feelings toward the offender and the relationship is partially restored, though there's a decrease in the emotional, here it is, the emotional intensity of the relationship. You can be around the one who has offended you, but you don't enjoy their presence. Relate to anybody? Sure, every one of us. You would rather not be in their presence and you don't really have genuine fellowship with that person. Number three, though, there is full forgiveness. There is full forgiveness. Full forgiveness is where there is a total cessation of negative feelings toward the offender and the relationship is fully restored. But there's also a fourth degree of forgiveness and that's what's called, we're talking about this morning, total Forgiveness. What's the difference between full forgiveness and total forgiveness? Total forgiveness is really unique because it must, it happens in your heart, giving you complete peace, even though, here it comes, even though there is not a restoration in the relationship. In full forgiveness, there's a restoration as well, but in total forgiveness, there very well may not be a restoration of that fellowship with that person, and yet you completely, totally forgive them nonetheless. Well, then we saw, thirdly, God's strong assertion that you must forgive. I'll tell you what this whole series has been doing for me. It's been opening my eyes to what God has done and is presently doing with me. It's just driving that home into my heart, God says, I want you to see more clearly, Bill, what I have done and what I am right now doing in you so you'll understand why you must do this with everyone else, no matter what the offense might be. God's strong assertion that you must forgive, you are to forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You've read that many times, but then you get there and say, you know what, I can't do that. You know what else? I don't want to do that. That's where we are in the old flesh, isn't it? Okay. Ephesians 4.32. Let, what's the next word? All. Let all bitterness. You say, wait a minute. You expect me to be able to pull that off? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And then he says, be kind to one another. Be tender hearted. Forgiving each other, you finish it, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And he makes you dwell on that. How has he forgiven you? This series begins to bring us back to that, to look at that. But then secondly, God's strong assertion that you must forgive. Jesus' parable drives this point home. What a parable. (laughs) When Peter says to him, okay, Lord, uh, shall I forgive seven times a guy that comes back and repeatedly offends me? And Jesus says, no, no, 70 times 70. And then he tells this parable. And in that parable, who does the slave represent who owed this king 10,000 talents? I mean, an unbelievable amount that he had exploited from the king. I mean, there's no way in the whole wide world. I mean, how could he have done that? How could he get that far uh, against the king? And he, who does he represent? 
You and me. He represents you and me. But secondly, how would you describe him? This this slave. You know that the parable of the king, the, the king represents God. This scoundrel represents you and me uh, in, in what he did. And what should have this great offended king done to this wicked slave? You know the answer to that as well. I mean, he's going to sell him and everything he had, his, parents, his wife, his children, everything. And I'm surprised he didn't kill him as well, you know. But he's going to do that just to get whatever he could out of him. And uh, then Jesus in this parable, here comes the amazing, the amazing grace, the amazing forgiveness when he forgives him at all. I mean, it's just, it's, it's staggering. It's, it's unthinkable. It's unbelievable. And he forgives him the whole debt. And then here comes the impact of Jesus' parable. He goes out and finds somebody that owns him some money as well, but nothing compared to what he was owing and, forg- and uh, was forgiven. And he grabs him around the throat and he tells him, I will not forgive you. And he's going to make him pay back that debt. And so then the king heard that, of course, and he did the same with him. That's the impact of that parable. God's strong assertion, we must forgive one another. And then Jesus gave an object lesson. Jesus' object lesson should move you and me to always forgive. And it's beautiful because we're at the communion table this morning. And that's why I ask that we do that even on this kind of celebration of 4th of July weekend here. And that's John 13, 1 through 15. And you remember the story, they all came to the upper room and you had a couple million people and all those animals in Jerusalem and you had all that urine and that manure around and they're walking with their open sandals through all that stuff and they get in the upper room, but there's no slave to take care of their washing their feet. And you know, they kind of laid down and so your dirty feet were in the nose of the guy next to you. So that's a pretty bad situation here as they're going to go enter into that meal and uh, and have communion as well. And so Jesus humbles himself and he puts around, girds himself with that towel and he gets that wash basin and he goes around and washes their feet and he goes to Peter. And Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. No way in the world are you going to wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, if I do not wash your feet, here it comes, you have no part with me. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Now, Jesus makes it clear that all the disciples, excluding Judas, by this time had left, they they had been clean. In other words, they were fully saved. And Peter responds to Jesus, Well, the Lord then washed not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Give me a complete bath, Lord. I truly want to have part with you. And Jesus responds to Peter with these words, He who is bathed, he who has had the clean bath already, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Speaking about Judas, who was not saved. So these 11 disciples are genuinely saved. They are completely clean, but if Jesus doesn't wash their feet, what does he say? You have no part with me. Wait a minute. I'm fully saved. I'm forgiven. I'm going to go to heaven, and you're telling me if I don't let you wash my feet, I have no part with you. And then he drives the lesson home because he says, should you not do that for one another? What, wash your feet? You mean foot washing? Well, it's a symbol of something, isn't it? What is it? It's a symbol of forgiving each other. Symbol of forgiving, completely forgiving each other. And we drive that home with the application to the Lord's Prayer. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. There it is. There it is. Fully saved, but out of fellowship. Fully saved, but ruining the walk with the Lord and with one another. And now that brings us into the next major part that I'm going to talk about this morning, when you cannot forgive. And by the way, it's a hard one, isn't it? Some people have no problem at all because it's a minor offense or whatever, but there's some. They've done things to you, or they will do things to you, and you will have the hardest time in the world to forgive them, forgive them with total forgiveness. 
That's why this is so important this morning for me as well as for each one of us here. There are times when you and I find ourselves hurt and offended by another person or persons. These hurts and offense may be small in nature or they may be huge and very grave. For example, someone may have overlooked you when it came to a promotion that you thought that you should have been given, or someone may have said some unkind thing about you to another person, and that got back to you or me. But then there are those much deeper hurts and offenses. A person may have sexually abused you in some way. You may have gotten the short end of the stick on some estate settlement. We talked about that back on May 7th. Your spouse... Your spouse may have dumped you for someone else. Someone has ruined and destroyed your reputation by saying some wicked things about you, some uh, about you. And that list, by the way, can go on and on. You fill in the blanks. It can be a small hurt and offenses, or it can be something major that puts you in a position where you find yourself unable to to unconditionally totally forgive that person or persons. Whatever it may be, it's gotten in and stirred up your emotions. That's what happens, the emotions, right? They get stirred up. And you're ready to react even though you know God tells you you must completely and totally forgive your offender no matter what they have done toward you and no matter even if they do not repent and seek your forgiveness. says, nonetheless, you have to totally forgive them. You say, how do I pull that off? By the way, your emotions will tell you, won't they, whether you've done it or not, whether you pull it off or not. Those emotions, they're so revealing. So let's talk first about what is the ultimate proof. Here we go. Fill in the blank. What is the ultimate proof of total forgiveness? What is it? What is the ultimate proof that I am really there and I am totally forgiving this person of whatever the terrible thing is they have done toward me. It is when I sincerely from my heart, when I sincerely from my heart ask my Heavenly Father to let those who have hurt me off the hook, even if they have hurt not only me, but also somebody or those close to me. When I sincerely, God, let them off the hook. Now you're going to say, what does that mean? We'll get into that later on. Number one, Jesus' heart of forgiveness on the cross. Have you, I, I know you've thought about it, but you know, it's almost like we can't, we can't develop and process this. Jesus' heart of forgiveness on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I mean, those wicked, evil, horrible men, hateful men, standing around the cross, they had nailed him there. They had mocked him. Those religious leaders standing around his cross were wicked, evil men who hated him with venom, who had fully committed themselves to do as much hurt. They were committed to do as much hurt and cruelty to him as they possibly could do. They were filled full of hate towards him. And there he is on the cross and he says, complete forgiveness. Father, let them off the hook. Completely forgive them. By the way, some of them did get saved. A little later on under Peter's preaching, Paul's preaching, and so forth. Number two, God's heart of forgiveness at the cross. You need to see God, the Father's heart of forgiveness. God was in Christ Jesus, it says, 2 Corinthians 5.19, reconciling the world to himself. Here it comes, here it comes. Not counting their trespasses against them. What? This wicked, evil, blasphemy famous world of people not counting their trespasses against them. 
And we get down to one that had a sin nature and his response, Stephen's heart of forgiveness as he shared the gospel. And by the way, he was straightforward with them. He shared the gospel. He told them, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You are hardened, hardened, and so forth. And then they took him out because he said he saw heaven open and, and the Son of Man standing there, the Lord Jesus Christ standing there. And they took him out and they began to stone him and falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, listen, this is a heart of total forgiveness. They're killing him. A heart of total forgiveness. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. What happened? What happened? God used that total forgiveness testimony to bring one of the hardened men that was standing there, Saul of Tarsus, to saving faith. That's what happened. That's the power of this kind of forgiveness that God uses and sets us free. Well, let's go to the next part. So what is total forgiveness? Let's start there. Total forgiveness, total forgiveness is when I sincerely from my heart ask my heavenly father to let those who have hurt me off the hook, even if they have hurt not only me, but also those close to me that I love. By the way, you know you can't pull this off. Not without the Holy Spirit, right? I can't pull this off. Now the kind of total forgiveness unless the Holy Spirit empowers me to do that. What total forgiveness is not? We're going to go very fast here. Total forgiveness is not approval of what they did. It's not approval of what they did. In the New Testament, our Lord forgave the woman found adultery, but he did not approve of what she did. He told her, I do not condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So it's not approval of what they did. Number two, it is not excusing what they did. You might think, well, if I just excuse it. No, no, it's sin. It's wrong. It's not excusing what they did. Number three, it's not justifying what they did. Well, you know, maybe this is why it happened and it's okay. No, it's not justifying what they did. Number four, it's not pardoning what they did. And that's important here. It's not pardoning what they did. Why that's important is a pardon is a legal transaction that releases an offender from the consequences of their actions, such as a penalty or a sentence. Illustration, this is why we not ask that the guilty rapist be exempt from punishment. They might go back and repeat it. No, there's a consequence. So it's not a pardon. Number five, it is not reconciliation for what they did. That's what all of us wish. Oh, I just wish they would repent and come back and say, Bill, I'm sorry. I know what I did was wrong. Let's get back into fellowship. It's wonderful when that happens, but that's not what total forgiveness is. It is not reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not always the same thing. Reconciliation requires the participation of what? Two people or two parties. The person you forgive may not want any reconciliation with you at all. Number six, it is not denying what they did. It's understandable. It's not that I deny this didn't happen or they didn't do it. Some people suppress what they really feel inside and choose to live in denial. But it's not that. They refuse to admit or come to terms with the reality of what actually has happened to them. It's not denial. Number seven, it's not forgetting what they did. Got to talk on that for just a moment. It's not forgetting what they did. Sometimes we hear that we are to forgive and forget. I don't know about you, but I don't always forget. I'm getting better at it, by the way. Half the time I don't know who you are and what your name is, but I'm getting better. But it's not an issue of forgiving and forget here. But love and the act of forgiving sometimes does not do not erase our memories, do they? But such forgiveness is actually a demonstration of greater grace. 
It's a demonstration of greater grace when we are fully aware of what occurred and we still choose to totally forgive that person for their wrongdoing. That's great grace, isn't it? Number eight is not refusing to take the wrong seriously. That's understandable. It is not refusing to take the wrong seriously. We cannot truly forgive until we see clearly the offense we are forgiving and understand its seriousness. Forgiveness is not dismissing a wrong or passing it off as being insignificant. By the way, is that not what God does? Think about what God does with you. God can and does forgive the greatest of our sins. We need to know that. And he knows exactly what is it is that we've done and what it is that he is forgiving. But he doesn't say to you to me, oh, listen here, that that's not really all that bad. Don't feel so badly about that. I can easily wash away that sin. No, he makes it very clear that it cost him deeply and dearly the suffering and death of his beloved son who he had to come and bear the sin as well as the punishment for that sin. God doesn't pass our sins off as being consequential, yet he forgives our sins totally. And number nine, this is really important. I don't think we have a problem with it. But number nine, maybe we do, is not pretending we are not hurt. It's not me pretending that I'm not hurt. Because I did get hurt. You did get hurt. When David sinned against God, he let David know how grieved he was over his sin of adultery and murder. David was a man after God's own heart, and yet God was ruthlessly impartial with David because of his sin. Well, that brings us to our next major part. We're going rather quickly here for reasons. What total forgiveness is. What total forgiveness is. You know why I'm doing this? Because... Probably every one of us struggle in this area, and we will struggle in this area as God allows things to happen to us and people to do things or not do things that relate to us. And boy, it upsets us. It gets us emotionally, and we're supposed to deal with it. As he said, let me wash your feet. Now you wash their feet, or you have no part with me. It's a heavy-duty issue here. And God's people, by the way, it's an amazing testimony to a lost world. And we'll see that later on another time. What total forgiveness is? Number one, it is being aware of what someone has done and still forgiving them. It's being aware of what someone, somebody has done and still forgiving them. We only arrive at total forgiveness when we clearly acknowledge what was done and still refuse to make the offender pay for their wrongdoing. Total forgiveness is painful. You know why? Because it hurts to not seek revenge. Don't you like revenge? Don't you like people to get what they deserve for what they've done to you? And we think the offending person is getting away with what they did and nobody else will ever find out. And we don't like that. We don't like that. But consider this. When we know fully what they did, and accept in our hearts that they will be blessed, whoa, that they will be blessed without any consequences for their wrongdoing, we cross over into the supernatural realm. Did God, Lord Jesus, did he not say, pray for and bless your enemies? He said that. I looked it up to be sure he said that. You say, what? That is not at all what I want. I don't want you to bless them. But that's what total forgiveness is, being aware of what someone has done and still forgiving them. And we cross over into the supernatural realm. We begin to be a little more like our Lord as he changes us more and more into his very image. Number two, what total forgiveness is? Ooh, it is choosing. It is choosing to keep no records of wrong. They just sung that, the little kids did. 
It is choosing to keep no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13.5 Love does not take into an account a wrong suffered. There's Jesus on the cross and those wicked people are doing all kinds of wrong, evil, wicked things against him. Painful, terrible things. And he says, Father, forgive them. Another uh, a way of interpreting 1 Corinthians 13.5 Love keeps no record of wrongs. Do you? Do I? When somebody has hurt us deeply, why do we keep track of the times we're offended? I'll tell you why. One reason, to use them. That's why. To prove what happened. To blame the other party for the wrong they did. Love is a choice, by the way. To totally forgive someone is a choice. It is a choice to tear up the wrongs we have been keeping. Number three is refusing to punish. It is refusing to punish. What's going on in my flesh when someone is hurt and offended me is the desire for them to get what they deserve. And I think that's true of each one of us. We, we want them to get what they deserve. I do not want them to get away with what they have done against me. To do this seems very unfair. And we all want vengeance, if you please, meaning that they get their just punishment. But the fear of the Lord, but the fear that they won't get punished is the exact opposite of perfect love. Let me restate that. The fear that they won't get punished is the exact opposite of perfect love. The Apostle John put it this way, there is no love and fear, I'm sorry, there is no fear in love, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. Second, for 1 John four eighteen. So it is refusing to punish. Number four, ooh, here's a hard one. This tells a lot about me and about you. Number four it is re- our refusing to tell what they did. It is refusing to tell what they did. There may be the need to talk to somebody, a counselor, for example, about how you've been hurt for the genuine therapeutic reasons. That's possible if it's done with the right heart attitude. But talking about how you have been wounded with the purpose of hurting your offender's reputation or credibility is just a form of punishment. And we all do it. We all do it. Is it not really our heart's desire to put that person in a bad light with others when we tell others what they did to us? So the next time you think about telling that, just think about, wait a minute, my total forgiveness means I refuse to tell anybody what they did. Unless, of course, there's that requirement by law when there's some issue that has to be covered. Total forgiveness is forgiving others as God has forgiven me. You see, this keeps driving me back to what God did to me. What he does to me. Total forgiveness is forgiving others as God has forgiven me. And how has God forgiven me? How has he forgiven me? This is good. Number one, I won't be punished for my sins. Now, there's going to be a consequence, but I won't be punished for my sins. Isn't that great? Are you happy about that? Oh, man. I won't be punished for it. By the way, here, this is good. This I really, really, really appreciate. Nobody will know about my sins for all sins that are under the blood of Christ will not be exposed or held against me. God ain't going to tell you about my sins. That's important to me. How would you like it if God said, I'm going to tell everything I know about you. I'm going to get to the, we'll leave the minor stuff off. We'll go to the heavy duty stuff. I'm going to tell everybody in this room about you. So I don't want that. God says, that's how I've forgiven you. I don't bring it up. 
Though God knows about each one of my sins, He's chosen to cast them into the deepest part of the sea, and He chooses, He chooses to remember them no more. That's how God, you see what I mean? This drives me back to how God has dealt with me, and it begins to set me free when I think, Lord, you want me to have the same response to the person who's offended and hurt me, even if they don't acknowledge it, they don't seek reconciliation. You want me to have that same kind of love and forgiveness toward them. Number five, it is being merciful and gracious. It is being merciful and gracious. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful. For why? They shall receive mercy. Huh. You want to be merciful? You'll receive mercy. Because God is merciful. He does not want to punish us and give us what we deserve. But God, or because God is also just, He must punish us because of the sins against Him. And what's the solution? It's called the gospel. The good news. Isaiah 53, 6. There it is. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. What's the next part? Come on. But the Lord, come on has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. That's the gospel. Being gracious is choosing to withhold certain facts you know to be true, so as to leave your offender's reputation unscathed. Your graciousness is shown by what you do not say, even if what you could say would be true. You could say it's true, but you say, I I, I choose to withhold it and not say it. It is your and my self-righteousness. Think about this. It is your and my self-righteousness that insists we tell what we know, knowing it's going to hurt and punish the person who has wronged us. And that is the opposite of being gracious. Number six, it is an inner condition. It is an inner condition. Total forgiveness must take place in my heart. If there's bitterness in my heart toward the person who has offended me, it will sooner or later come out and my actions and words will give me away. If there's love in my heart, the Apostle John says, the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. First John 2.10 If Jesus had waited until his enemies felt their guilt and their shame for some words or, their words and act- or for the words and actions, he would never have forgiven them. Because they never got there, did they? Some did later on. You know what? Most people that we must forgive don't even think they've done anything wrong against us. How about that? In fact, if you went to them, they'd be surprised. They'd say, what? What are you talking about? And you know very well. You were offended by what they said or didn't do or whatever it is or did to you. And you know, and they, in fact, if they took a lie detector test, they would pass the test. The people that God says you have to forgive and you say, I can't believe it. They don't have a clue that they've hurt me or said that or done that. Amazing, isn't it? This is why total forgiveness has to take place in the heart. There may not be any reconciliation with the offending party. But man, if you have confidence toward God about the total forgiveness, and he's the one I want to really please and you want to please as well, boy, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Peace with God and the joy and fellowship you have because you can rest knowing I really have totally forgiven that person. Number seven. Boy, is this ever revealing. Number seven. What is total forgiveness? It is the absence of bitterness. The absence of bitterness. He talks about let no root of bitterness crop up, lest it defile many. Boy, how often that has happened. Bitterness, you might have noticed, bitterness heads the list in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. It heads the list. Let all bitterness 
And then wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Bitterness is the drive to get even, it, to see my offender gets what he or she deserves. Bitterness will manifest itself in so many different ways. Boy, this, this is a, 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 not a, a total list here. Losing one's temper. That's an example of bitterness. High blood pressure. Okay, there we go. Irritability. None of you ever fall into that one, do you? Irritability. Sleeplessness. You say, aha, pastor, I knew all along. That's where you were. Obsession with getting even. Depression. Telling others about the person who offended you. Here's one. Premeditated fantasies of how you might get even. You dwell on that. You even sort of dream on that. This is what I would do if I could. This is what I want to see happen to that person or persons. The absence of bitterness allows the Holy Spirit to be in complete control of your life and of your life. When the Holy Spirit is grieved, you are left to yourself and you'll struggle with your emotions ranging from anger to fear. They'll range your emotions from anger to fear. When you choose to give up your bitterness, the Holy Spirit fills you with his love, joy, and peace. Number eight. This is interesting. You can take this wrongly. Number eight. What is total forgiveness? It is forgiving God. It is forgiving God. Not that God has done anything wrong, but in your mind, in your heart, you begin to accuse him and you begin to blame him. It's true that we sin in our hearts against God by blaming Him for allowing the person or the person to wrong us and hurt us. I mean, after all, since God is sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, He could have prevented what has taken place in my life. He's the one who has allowed this tragedy to come upon me. He's the one who allowed this person to do this wicked thing to me. And so what are we doing? We're blaming God. And I must confess my sin to blaming God and turn from the blame and yield myself completely into His all-wise hands, believing and trusting Him to work all things for the glory of His of His glory and for my benefit and blessing. That's what He says He'll do. You know, all things work together for good. But that's where a lot of Christians are. They even subtly don't realize they're blaming God. God, I'm in this situation. You could have changed it. I have prayed about it. I have pled with you and you won't change it. So what? You're the one that's fault. Total forgiveness is forgiving God. And ninth, ninth, total forgiveness is forgiving myself. Some people, what they have done, they just can't forgive themselves. They, they feel they're so terrible, so awful, so, it's so horrible. There are some who acknowledge that God has forgiven them, but they can't forgive themselves. It's now time to see yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ, having been made a new creature, with the old things having passed away, and all things having become new. The Lord Jesus Christ is now your life. No matter what you have done in your past, if you are in Christ Jesus, all, all of your sins, He has removed forever. It's now time you join that murderer, that destroyer of the church of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, and declare, one thing I do from here on out, one thing I'm going to do, forgetting what lies behind. And reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, dear ones, as we're coming to the communion table today, right now, you need to acknowledge you are a new person in Christ. You need to acknowledge that. 
Whatever has happened in your background, your past life, no matter how terrible, those terrible sins you committed have all been placed on Christ who suffered and paid the penalty in full. Why are you trying to pay a penalty when he's done it in full and God is satisfied and accepts his payment? He fully paid for all those sins, all of them. And your guilt, by the way, is being brought by Satan. He loves it. We'll talk about that another time. He's the guy that brings the guilt when God says, Look, you're in me. You're a new creature. The old things are gone forever. I have complete, I am God, the highest judge in the, in the universe, and I have completely forgiven your sins. Why then are you not forgiving yourself for whatever it is you have done? When I have said, it's a settled issue. Don't let Satan do that to you. He's the one who fills you with guilt. That guilt has been completely removed by God. In fact, when we, when I refuse to forgive myself, I really am being self-righteous. I'm saying my self-righteousness is more important than God's righteousness who's declared me completely forgiven. You got that? So today, I hope that some of you that may need this will say, I'm going to enjoy my declaration of independence. I'm going to enjoy my liberation because God tells me I am forgiven, completely forgiven of whatever it is in my past I've done. And now go on with the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Not an easy thing, is it? There's far more to this. It's just an amazing subject that's speaking to my heart about completely, totally forgiving anybody who offends me of whatever but you see two things here. Number one, God shows you, this is what he drives home. He drives home to you and me what he has done for us, scoundrel though we are, of completely forgiving and never bringing our sin up again. He never brings it up again. And secondly, he shows that this is something that God the Holy Spirit and only God the Holy Spirit can do in my life and your life. Where you come to that place, and there's more to this, we'll talk about later, Lord willing, of totally forgiving somebody of even the most horrendous things they may have done to you. It's possible. Jesus did. God did. Stephen did. And you and I are commanded to do it as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've completely forgiven us. We're going to come in a moment, Lord, to these elements that remind us of what you did. And Father, it just fills our heart full of joy. It humbles us. It just humbles us. Because we acknowledge we sin. We dishonor you. We even hurt one another. We create offenses with one another. And then we hang on to those offenses. And it grieves your heart. And like you said to those 11 disciples, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. Or as you said to the disciples there in that Lord's Prayer, if you will not forgive others their transgression, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you of your transgressions. God, we don't want to be there. We don't want to be there. We want to know the joy and liberation of being completely forgiven, of throwing our arms around one another and saying, you're my brother, your sister, and we're going to walk in fellowship together. Give us that power, I pray, Holy Spirit. And we would pray that you'll be glorified as the world sees this is a different kind of love. This is supernatural, that they would love one another and forgive each other in that manner. May it be so, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.